My name is Wizzy Brown. And I'm Bryant McDowell. And I'm Molly Keck. And we're with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service Department of Entomology, and this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. Welcome back to Bugs by the Yard. Uh, Today we are going to talk about the top spring vegetable garden pests uh, that you may see while you are out maybe getting your gardens uh, prepared for uh, this this season. Um, We've got a couple of different categories here. We're probably going to do it based on the plant types. I believe most people are going to be planting in tomatoes and squash and peppers and there's different uh, pests associated with each of those. So uh, we will get started today on uh, everyone's favorite. I feel like tomatoes are always the the go-to whenever people are starting up their garden. They, they want tomatoes, whether it be your small balcony cherry tomatoes or something that's actually in the ground in a substantial size. So uh, one thing that you will probably encounter would be a tomato hornworm. Um, Molly, do you want to talk about the tomato hornworm? Yeah. So tomato hornworms are, well, they will get to be very, very large caterpillars. They're, I always say they're like as thick as your thumb, longer than your thumb. Sometimes they are green and they have white stripes that kind of, um, point towards the back. And then they also have a little horn at their very end, a little spine that comes off of the end of their body the backside of their body. And I think that's mainly just to look nasty and to scare predators, but it, it can't really do anything to you. It can't really poke you or anything like that. They're real velvety. If you touch them, um, kind of soft, they, um, are, will turn into a moth called a, a hawk moth, a five spotted hawk moth. Some people call them hummingbird moths. So the adult form is a bit of a pollinator, but if you're seeing those pollinating usually in around dusk, then it, can tell you that I've got, I'm probably going to have some tomato hornworms showing up on my tomato plants. And these tomato hornworms, as conspicuous as they are, when you find them are really well camouflaged on the plant and they tend to feed when you're not out there. So it might happen overnight or something like that. And, and uh, it never fails. Someone will go on vacation. They'll set up their watering. They'll set everything up, go on vacation and be gone for a few days, come back and tomato hornworms have taken over and their plants that were just about to bud and they knew a bunch of tomatoes were going to come off of it are now eaten down to just sticks, just the nubbins. And that plants a waste now because it will never grow to the size it needs to grow to. It's always going to be fighting. You're never actually going to get tomatoes off of it probably. So you just have to get rid of it. So they, they feed on the leaf material. Um, they feed on the stems until they're just kind of sticks and, if the plant is older, more established, they might feed on the fruit a little bit, but, but really what they do is prevent the plant from being able to produce flowers, to make the fruit, to make the tomatoes that we're trying to get off of it. Um, and for control of them, it's, I say the very first time you see a hole in a leaf or a leaf is missing, start looking for them. And they tend to, if it's really warm, they'll tend to come out and feed at night. So their body will illuminate under a black light. So if you get just a black light flashlight, which are pretty easy to find off of Amazon, 
go out there in the evening and shine it on the plant. And if you find one, grab it and throw it in like a bucket of soapy water or stomp it on the ground. Don't throw it and, and just don't put it on the ground and then walk away, put it somewhere, kill it so that it doesn't get its, get its way back onto the plant. Um, but they're, they're very, very destructive. And once they get going, it's almost too late for that plant. Um, so handpicking, I think is easy to do, but also, uh, it's a caterpillar. So BT or spinosad, when they consume that or crawl across the spinosad and get enough on their body, then they'll get sick and they'll die from it. But I really do think your fingers, your two fingers pulling them off are a whole lot more effective and a whole lot cheaper than going out and buying something to spray on the plant. Yeah. And they're, they're really quick when it comes to their, their destruction. I mean, I'm one of those people when I'm in the garden, it's, I want to go there every day, you know, dusk time when I'm doing my watering and from one day to another, you, if you didn't realize that you had, Mm. you know, maybe 10 caterpillars munching away, um, that's their job as, as larvae is to just consume as much food and grow as big as they can. Um, so they can, you know, eventually pupate and become an adult and, and they, they can do a lot of damage just in a short amount of time. I always say a larvae's job is to eat poop and grow. <laughs> eat poop and grow. I had a, a master gardener give me a couple tomato hornworms in um, like a, a, like a sugar container or like a flour, con- like a, a, a container that you could put a pound of flour or sugar into. So it was a big container shoved full of, of, uh, tomato leaves and, and the plant to let those tomato hornworms grow. And like after two days, I needed to ask her for more tomatoes because they just eat so much. And so what was to green tomatoes was being replaced now with little balls of poop and they could fill that whole thing up. It's it like experiment with it because it will blow your mind. I made the mistake of killing. Well, whenever I was doing those, um, youth into one-on-one talks and I was taking around a tomato hornworm and, um, we ran out of food. So I went and I grabbed from like, ho- like Lowe's or Home Depot, one of the two, a oh, no. uh, tomato plant <laughs> that was sprayed with an insecticide. And I did not realize. And so I woke up the next day and my caterpillar was like black. dark, brown, yeah. <laughs> black, like liquid. <laughs> so oopsie morbid, <laughs> but Hey, good thing. Our insecticides are working, right? That's right. <laughs> Uh, so another pest uh, that you might encounter, well, I say might, uh, very common to encounter on a tomato plant. Um, and I've seen them quite often on the fruit itself. So once your fruit is kind of growing and starting to ripen, uh, leaf-footed bugs. I call these the arch nemesis of a tomato grower. Or peppers or eggplant. Uh, yes. <laughs> so it's like all the, what, nightshade family? Is that? Yeah. Is, are they all? Yeah. yeah. So they do look different um, uh, when it comes to the nymphs versus the um, adults. Uh, they, I mean, similar body plan, but they are kind of a different color. And oftentimes you're going to find a bunch of nymphs together. They're kind of an aggregated group, a cluster mm-hmm. um, on on some fruit. So leaf-footed bug, um, the name is, is indicative of their morphology. If you look at their hind legs, um, they have this kind of flattened elongated leaf-like structure on on their hind tibia so oftentimes they'll have like a white stripe along their back if you were to see a picture and i will make sure i include one in in the show notes you're going to know exactly what it is 
sometimes whenever you find a single adult, it is going to terrify you because they sound like a helicopter whenever they fly around. Um, they they can get quite large. There's smaller species, but I've seen them as large as, I mean, I'm like an inch and a half, maybe, um, two inches. I, I mean, that might be stretching it, but leaf footed bugs are going to also feed on the plant in both the immature and the adult stages. And the immatures are going to look similar to the adults, but not exactly. And they can also be sometimes, especially with the immatures, they can be mistaken for assassin bugs, which are actually beneficial predators. And when they're real young, before they've molted a few times and gotten the brown coloration to them, they're red. And um, I think that I think that they look like little red spiders with long black legs, but they obviously don't have eight legs, but they're, and, and Bryant, you're right. They tend to aggregate. So with assassin bugs, you won't see a ton of them together. I always kind of compare them to like a mountain lion or another predator. They don't want to overlap for territory and compete for resources. Whereas the leaf feeding insects don't really care and they will aggregate and clump together. And they kind of exude these feel good pheromones that say, this is really good food. Come hang out with me. And so you see many of them all together. Whereas you'll never see that with assassin. Well, never say never because I had somebody be like, oh, well, I saw a whole bunch of assassin bugs together. They had just hatched out of the eggs. (laughs) they're still dispersing. Oh my gosh. Those would have been so small. (laughs) Just like calm down. It's okay. (laughs) And then for leaf fitted bugs, I usually either like hand pick them. If you do hand pick them, wear gloves because they can release a smell um, and that can get on your hands or they can jab you with their mouth parts. Uh, the other option, oh, if you're handpicking, you can stick them into either rubbing alcohol or to a bucket of soapy water. Um, other options, using a vacuum of some sort to suck them off of the plant. One thing kind of related to what you're saying that I mm-hmm. will recommend that people do is they kind of play possum when you jar the plant. So if they're on a single tomato, um, then I will, and this is the immatures because once they're adults, they can fly off and they're really hard to catch, but even the immatures are very quick. So you may not be able to smoosh them all with your fingers, but I'll just like flick the tomato plant, have a cup of rubbing alcohol. They fall in there. Maybe not all, but 85% might, and that's really good control. Um, and they'll die immediately in the alcohol. So I get, I get satisfaction from it. You can use soapy water if you don't have rubbing alcohol, but they may not die right away. And then if they're all over the plant, take a a cookie sheet or a shallow pan and fill it with soapy water and then just jar the plant as hard as you can. So you can try to get as many to fall off into that um, rubbing alcohol and rubbing alcohol is cheap. You're not applying anything to the plant and you can get fairly good management if you're doing that on a regular basis. Yeah. What about pesticide wise? I always, that's usually what I recommend. I usually don't recommend anything for the adults. If you have the immatures that are clustered together, you can use insecticidal soap on them. But And, and to me, if you're going to try to aim right at them, couldn't I also try to squish them? So it's like, yeah. you know, it, it, I don't know. I, for me, it's the same effort and I don't have to go out and buy something. Yeah. Completely agree. Yeah. There is nothing more upsetting than trying to go after that adult and it flies off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Irritating. So what like some cultural control things though, that I always tell people is the adults like to hang out on weeds. So weed management or planning where you place your garden, where it's further away from the weeds that you maybe can't control is 
really important in, in helping maintain lower populations around those tomatoes. Well, also um, pr- pruning your tomato plants and popping off those suckers, maybe because a lot of tomatoes, if you just let that grow wild, it's going to be very bush-like. It's going to have a lot of hiding spaces for your pest insects. Um, and so if you are getting rid of those older, you know, and I'm talking about once you have an established tomato plant, those older kind of yellowing dried leaves, uh, you just, you know, pop those off of the bottom. Um, and then every time that you have kind of this from the lead, you, I call them suckers. I don't know if there's another term for it, but I would always pop those off. And the plus side of that is you can pop it in some water and you have a whole new plant. Uh, so you can, you can propagate it in that way, but that way you're minimizing those, those harborage areas for, for insects. But also knowing when that tomato plant has given you all that it can give you, because I love how some people I'll hear people will plant tomatoes now and then they'll try to keep them alive even through the fall. And they're not meant to last season to season. You know, tomatoes are very short lived. You pop them up in the summertime. You can, we can grow them three times a year in most parts of Texas. So you plant them in the spring, maybe the summer, and then you can have a fall tomato. So, you know, if you get for some varieties, if you get 10 big tomatoes off of it, that's a really good yield. They're not going to give you pounds and pounds and pounds of tomatoes from one single plant. So knowing when it's time to cull it and pull it up and that it's at the end of its life will also reduce um, those bugs from coming in and then prevent you from having tons of them the next time you're growing tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So staggering your, your planting as well, right? So if you're going to start early on, don't, don't expect that plant that you put in the ground in March to last you up until October. Right. Um, but yeah, you can, you can keep planting throughout the the season. And in Texas, we're pretty fortunate. Um, if you're providing, you know, protection from the sun and the extreme heat in the summer, you can still um, put things into the ground and, and be successful with them. Um, and that, that leads into our next, um, category, I guess. So I wanted to talk about squash, uh, squash and zucchini are pretty popular for individuals to, to plant. And, uh, this is one of those, if you're early season planting squash, um, sometimes people will get a little upset because, um, it's like immediately, I, I guess people plant and they expect to get, like you mentioned, Molly, you know, 10, 20 squash off of one plant. Um, some people are very successful and they will get a very well-producing plant. Others, um, the stem seems to just kind of shrivel up, uh, essentially cut off all supporting <laughs> life to the entire plant and and it dies. And that can be from what we call a squash vine borer. Um, which, which is a type of moth as adults. I think these are very, very nice to look at. Um, they're very, yeah, very wasp-like, uh, they can be a little alarming because of the coloration. They're kind of like an orange, um, is it like their forewing? That's like an orangish color. And the, the hind wing is more of like a clear. No, the body is the body and legs are like an orangish color. And then the um, head and thorax and the front pair of wings are like a grayish blackish with metallic blue on it. Yeah. They're actually really pretty. Um, and then the hind wing is clear because they are a clear wing moth. Um, so yeah. So as adults, very, uh, vibrant, um, very noticeable as larvae, um, it, you really won't see them unless you're getting down into the, the stem, the base of that 
uh, squash plant. And what they do is they'll they're burrow down. I actually believe that the moth will lay the egg down into the stem. Um, is it or isn't it the soil? The eggs laid the eggs laid on the stem or on the foliage, and they look like little brown. I don't know circles. And the larvae to me are very maggot like um they're they're not a very pretty Mm -hmm. uh very fat yeah yes just creamy white pudgy um as far as saving your squash plant i have heard of people who try to get in there and dissect it out and and i've heard that too but but have you ever heard of anyone who's done that and have and it's been successful because so my understanding of the way that it works is that caterpillar when it hatches it chews its way into the vine and it starts to feed and it will clog up the vine so it's it is cutting off nutrition to the terminal end of the plant and so that's why you see the end of the plant dying towards the roots as opposed to like closer to the root up you know so once they've started to do that and they've cut off that nutrition i even if you dig that sucker out of there i don't think that that plant really is salvageable and i hear people saying that's what they do but i've never heard anyone say and it worked well, it depends on what they do with it and at what stage they catch it, I guess. I mean, if you're waiting until it's like clear out at the end, it's pretty much game over at that point. But if you catch it when it's fairly at the base of the runner, you can dig it out and then bury that in the ground. So it's kind of good if you are, um, you might want to kind of bury the squash vine as it starts trailing even more like that way you can maybe get it to grow some roots in that. And then it has that root system kind of going along with the progression of the plant. Okay. So how do you know when to dig it out? Like what, what signs tell you that where it is? Are you just randomly cutting? You don't know necessarily where it is, but you can look for the frass popping up usually uh it's usually kind of towards the base of the plant and that is i don't even know how to it just looks like looks like fatty tissue kind of exploding out of the plant it's kind of this yellowish blobby looking stuff it almost looks like a fungal infection to me like it's yeah like an ulcer on a plant that's interesting now, those are laid singly, right? Um, is it one larvae per plant? Well, not necessarily one larvae per plant, but they lay the eggs singly. They can lay multiple eggs on the plant. But one larvae per runner? Probably not, no. Because I've seen eggs like along different parts of the stem. So once those larvae um, are done feeding and they go to pupate, uh, they go off into the soil to pupate, right? Do they overwinter as um, as pupae in the soil? So I, I've heard of people do like crop rotation and how that's like a big um, deal. Now, I mean, we're talking about a backyard garden right now. The second those adults emerge, it doesn't matter if you've moved your squash plants, you know, six feet in the opposite direction. I'm sure that they're still going to find them. Um doesn't but it makes it harder i mean if i don't know how they overwinter but assuming they overwinter as pupa you know it's gonna take them or even as eggs it's gonna take them a while to find the plant at least and it gives that plant maybe a little bit more relief um more established as it's growing and then maybe it can fight those Mm -hmm. guys off a little more or who knows but yeah i mean i'm a big advocate of 
rotating your crops. Maybe it's just moving them around into different beds by family, you you know, so do some research. Mm -hmm. Don't just always have a nightshade group or a cucurbits group really rotate because that can be helpful for any of these bugs we're going to talk about. And they do overwinter in the soil as pupa. And we have like, if you, if you Google them and you look at other fact sheets from other uh, places, um, other States, they'll say that they'll, they, they kind of know exactly when is a, is a window to treat your vine so that you can kill them as the eggs hatch and the babies chew their way in. But in Texas, we have such random weather that we don't know. And we've got multiple generations um, throughout the year. So you might have them laying eggs in the spring, the summer, you get your spring, summer, and your fall squash, unfortunately, are susceptible to them. So our next, um, well, how do we control them? That's true. Oh my gosh. Sorry. We talked about that. You are on the edges of their seat. Everybody's like, no, (laughs) we all kind of have different ways. Wizzy mentioned cutting them out when she starts to look for the poop. Um, all these things are like, you got to be a good gardener. There's a, we have a Sam Cotner was a famous or famous with an extension horticulturist, vegetable horticulturist. And he always said that the gardener's best friend is their shadow because you're always in the garden. So with all these things, just monitoring like crazy will help you catch things early. So finding that poop is one option. You can squish the eggs, but that's a lot of these are like way more intensive than I am willing to do. So I essentially have quit growing <laughs> zucchini and squash because I'm just not willing to go out there and look for eggs every day and squish them. Um, the one that I have had relatively decent success with is using row cover to keep the uh, moths from laying eggs on the plant. But you also need to remember that squash is going to be pollinated by bees. And so unless you're hand pollinating them, you're going to need to uncover your squash when it's blooming. I would uncover it when it's blooming. Like once I had a decent sized plant, uncover it when it's blooming. That way it gives the, the squash bees a chance to come in there and pollinate. And then I would cover it back up in the evening. And yes, squash vine borers could get on it. Yeah, But again, I mean, I guess if you're like more vigilant than I am, I guess you could look for eggs at that point and then cover it up. But again, I'm not going to do that. I'm too lazy. I have been recommending to people. So the timing is important and knowing when to, you can treat just that vine. I've heard people say they put foil around it too, but then you'd have to make that pretty loose. And um, I guess that that's just kind of really tedious and probably hard to do. Um, but you can find pheromone traps or pheromones that you can put out to monitor and figure out when they're looking for mates. And it's just like usually a little plastic thing that you stick on a, uh, like a sticky triangle and the, the males think it's a female and they come get stuck on the sticky paper. So it indicates that they're looking to mate, um, and they are mating, which means they should be laying eggs in at the most two weeks and, you know, the least one day from when you're finding them. So you can, once you find them in your sticky traps, you can treat those vines to try to prevent the egg from hatching. And as it chews its way in, it dies. And there's a lot of options that people can use from something like BT that might last a week to esfenvalerate active ingredient, which can last you up to four weeks or more. So you can kind of pick and choose how often do I want to treat these vines? Um, so that I can hopefully prevent them from coming in. But you, you have to be looking at those traps to know when you get the, that first male stuck in there. 
Well, there's also varieties of squash and zucchini that you can grow that are more resistant to squash vine borer. So Mm -hmm. seek those out. I know that we've done some trials at our demonstration garden that I, we had squash. I think they did the tatumi squash and I know it had squash vine borer because I saw the frass. I saw the moths flying around. I mean, it was but it rooted to the ground wherever it touched. And so even though the squash vine borer was in it, we still got squash and it was fine. So look out for some of those resistant varieties as well. So I was going to ask which one. So Tatumi is one. Do you know what other ones? There's another one. I don't know how well it would do in um, Texas. And I don't know what it tastes like. The Tatumi I've actually had and it was good. It is not an elongated squash. It's more, it's a round squash. Um, I've heard that Hubbard squash can be a trap crop for them. Um, But I've never tried that. I don't know how easy it is to get Hubbard squash either. You can buy seeds for anything online. Um, So I guess backtracking a little bit. Um, If you are curious, if you've got a stubborn squash plant and you're wondering, well, why isn't this producing Oftentimes what you're going to see is that plant looks very wilted, almost like it's not able to take up water, which I mean, for a squash plant is very important. Um, and that's, that's one of the first signs that you're going to know something is wrong. Um, if you have your watering under control, you know that you're, you're providing it with everything that it needs. And it kind of has that wilted look. You want to check at the base of that plant um, to see if you can find any sort of entrance holes or um any sign of, uh, of the larvae actively feeding. Unfortunately, once they get in there and they really start doing damage, I mentioned it's like the terminal, it dies from the tips in and it just is dying and you come outside and you see it and there's nothing you can do about it, but it's just a, a, a dead wilted plant. And, you know, it's very kind of devastating if that's, if you only have a couple of squash out there because it's the end of your squash season. Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm a fan of like vertical gardening. So when I do squash, oftentimes I'll do like a tomato cage where I've got the entire plant growing up, um, like the vine is growing more up. So it's easier to kind of get in there and determine what plant might be affected as well. Um, I know some people who do any type of squash or pumpkin will just kind of put out seeds and let those vines take over and it becomes a, a crazy jungle um, mess. And, and that can be hard to get. That would be me. <laughs> It, well, it can be hard to then monitor, right? To to see uh, which plants might be affected, what might be able to be salvaged. Um, it's also hard to find your produce at that point. How many times do you walk into a garden and see a zucchini that's grown like four times the normal size, and then you can't use it anyway, right? So our next squash pest we want to talk about is the squash bug. Um, and this is one of those <clears throat> sucking pests that... Um, I, I think people could probably get confused with maybe a leaf-footed bug or even other type of assassin bug. So squash bugs to me aren't, I mean, they're not the most uh, like vibrant. It's a very basic looking uh, piercing sucking pest. So compared to the leaf-footed bug, they've got very thin uh, legs, uh, same body plan. They've got those, um, so they're in the order Hemiptera. They have those wings that are kind of more thickened toward the the base of the body and then they appear more um uh what what would the word be like thinner veined toward toward the end they're just kind of i mean they just they're dull 
uh, color. I mean, they blend in very well. I mean, yeah, they usually stay hidden. Mm -hmm. Not great flyers, like a shorter, fatter version of a leaf footed bug, but not quite as rounded as a brown stink bug. Um, what do you think? About half an inch long or so. Very noticeable when you find them. Um, are they also in these aggregated kind of groups? Um, yeah. For sure. Yes. And the nymphs, again, they look similar to the adults, but they don't have fully developed wings. And they're kind of gray. The younger ones are yeah. more gray in color. And they they will tend to, when they're not feeding, they'll go to the base of the plant where it comes out of the soil a lot of times. So they'll cluster there or under a leaf or I tend to notice them early on in the season when it's two mates stuck together. And, and then I'm like, Oh, here it comes. And then you start looking around and you for sure see little tiny eggs everywhere. Little Brown eggs. All right. So what about control methods for these guys? These ones I like to trellis my squash or pumpkins or whatever. Um, that way, because I find if you're not having everything for them to hide under, under the ground, you tend to have less problems with them. Mm-hmm. So if you're going up with it, then it's more difficult for them to find that harborage area and it's easier for you to find them then. Or even a, like a horizontal trellis where you just have it raised off the ground a few inches. So you, you don't have that surface area touching um, that can help. I truly do think that squash bugs, if you are a good gardener and you're out there all the time, are one of those pests that you can successfully manage by smashing with your fingers and hand picking or directly spraying with insecticidal soap or maybe neem oil or just something that's a little, you know, less harsh of a, a pesticide, less long of a residual, but just being very diligent and turning the leaves over to find them. Um, when you see little black, I mean, sorry, brown colored roundish ovalish shaped eggs, smush them, whether they're, whether anything feels like it's in there or not smush the heck out of them. Um, but just hand pick. I mean, I'll even go out there with when they get older with scissors and I'll just snap the the adults in half <laughs> and it uh, feels good. And I know I definitely killed them and uh, keeps them from laying more eggs. You can also set traps for them. Like in the evening, you can take a, um, I don't know, like a piece of cardboard or something and make like a little like bend it. Mm-hmm. So it has like a little tent and then in the morning you go out and with a bucket of soapy water and then you pick up that cardboard and stick it in the soapy water. Cause they will aggregate underneath that little trap oh, location. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. I have to tell people that now. Um, I also tell people to, although it sounds counterintuitive, using a lot of mulch can, um, give them more harborage under the soil or around the soil. So if you, if you want to do mulch, do like, I don't know, straw or some really fine mulch as opposed to a th- thicker mulch that they can get underneath. Um, and if you do want to treat for them, one place to apply is around the base of the plant where they go down to aggregate, then you got, might get a little bit more bang for your buck there. But remember these are piercing sucking mouth parts. So they're touching with the tip of their mouth part and the tippity tips of their toes. So they don't rub a whole lot on the plant and they may not necessarily get that residual on it. So if you're going to apply pesticides, try to target where you actually see them. All right. So the next major group of plants, I think a lot of people are going to be planting is going to be your peppers, um, going back to the nightshade family, but, um, 
Some common, at least for me, what I would see on my pepper plants would be aphids and leaf hoppers. Um, so two sucking pests. Um, I I've never really had a pepper plant die from a large infestation, and with leaf hoppers, actually with aphids too. Um, my my method of treatment is usually what we've said for these other ones. It's just kind of hand, hand picking or spraying like you know jets of water um, onto the plant. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about leaf hoppers first. What are leaf hoppers? Um, a small, um, uh, I would say like a tent shaped insect. Um, so they've got piercing sucking mouth parts. Um, another one of those aggregated pests at times. There's many species, many colors. Some are going to be green. Uh, some are striped. Some are blue and red. Some are blue and gold as we figured out today. Um, so a very diverse group. Um, I don't know what else I could compare. I, I will be posting a photo. But I don't know what I could pair their their body shape to. They're kind of unique in there. They kind of, well, they're small. Uh, they're not going to be huge. I'm going to say maybe half an inch at the largest. And they're kind of um, streamlined, so narrow-sided. They're not real fat or pudgy, maybe uh, bullet-shaped almost kind of, but not as pointy. It's almost like they have, ugh, I'm, I'm going to say this and it's probably going to be wrong, but the front of their face just looks like a duck bill. Like it's very, I don't know. Rounded, it looks but ran rounded. into something yeah. and smashed their head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, these, at least on, on my plants, when I would find them in the garden, they are really good at kind of avoiding you. So, you know, you'll think that you'll see, there'll be like a line of them on one stem and you're turning around your plant and they will actively like go to the opposite side of the plant to avoid you. Um, and to that, I say, grab your plant and shake it as well as you can to just like knock them down. Um, they aren't going to have wings as it matures, but leaf hopper, they can still kind of hop away. Um, but if you knock them down to the ground, you can at least, you know, smush them and take care of them that way or into, um, like we've mentioned, some sort of uh, soap solution or um an ethanol solution something like that just to just to kill them um, as they are juveniles okay and so the other group that i mentioned is um aphids which i'm, I'm sure we're all familiar with these don't only attack our, our garden plants we can find these all over the landscape um and with aphids typically you're going to want to turn your leaves upside down. Um, you can find a whole bunch of them clustered together. Once you have a, a an infestation, I'll say you'll find them all over the plant as well. But um, if you've just got, you know, a, a small amount, you can just flip over your leaves. Those are really easy to knock down. Um, they are a pretty soft bodied insect. And so uh, water is very important for them. And if they're not uh, covered, if they're not protected from that sunlight, um, they are going to desiccate and die. Uh, so what I always recommend, just getting either a spray bottle or even your garden hose, you can kind of, uh, you know, hose down the plant, knock them off of the plant into the soil. Um, they're not going to very easily climb back up onto the plant. Um, I'm not going to say never because there's always an exception, but uh, you're going to take care of a large portion of the population this way. Um, they're basically going to dry out and and die. You're right. Because if I always tell people, if you think about the years that we've had um, decent rainfall, 
at good times, like every two weeks or something like that, you'll often see that you don't really have a big problem with aphids, but then come, you know, July, end of July and August, when the faucet gets turned off and it starts to get real dry um, and there's no rainfall, the aphids will really bloom and explode. And, and so if you can replicate rainfall in some way, then you can just like be a, a more of a natural way of, of trying to just keep the populations low enough that it doesn't harm the plant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and, and you, you can find aphids on any of, of these plants groups that we've really talked about. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen them on my squash plants as well. I do want to mention, so kind of the, the side effect of aphids, um, because they're feeding on all those plant saps, all those plant juices, they do secrete honeydew. It's a very, very sugary substance, um, very sticky. So oftentimes, I think whenever most people are aware of it is kind of that later summertime, whenever we've got aphids up in the pecan trees or their crepe myrtles, um, and they've got their cars that they've parked under those trees that are kind of getting this sticky residue all over them. Uh, the same thing kind of happens to your garden uh, plants where they can be kind of coated in this uh, sticky sap. And then that's going to further promote other things to grow, whether it be bacteria, fungi, um, what have you. So just a quick uh, recap. We went over a couple of different groups of plants. We got tomatoes, squash, and peppers, and different pests that you might see on those. The tomato hornworm, the leaf-footed bugs on your tomato plants. Uh, for squash, we got the squash vine borer and squash bug. Uh, and then for all of your peppers, um, you know, leaf hoppers and really aphids you could find on, on the majority of those as well. Um, so we talked about different kind of cultural controls, mulching, pruning those plants, uh, weeding in order to uh, discourage those those pest insects um, or, you know, not provide some type of harborage for them, as well as just being out in your garden, you know, handpicking, taking care of those problems on the juveniles is going to be the, the best bet for you, right? Adults are a little more mobile. They've got wings. They can get away from you a lot easier. Um, so taking care of those problems earlier on is going to be uh, your, your, your best bet at, at getting control um, of your problem. So hopefully everyone is, is feeling enthusiastic when we're going into this growing season and uh, good luck to everybody. Um, if you want more information, uh, you can find us online. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Bugs by the Yard and we will catch you next time.